0: stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, given how well the carbon tax has gone over in Alberta, which you say it really hasn't, I'm not so sure that a junk food tax would go over well either. I think to some extent, though, the premise is kind of the same, isn't it? You're putting a price on something uh, that you want less of or less consumption of. I think the the issue of the junk food tax has always been, well, first of all, what, what are we considering to be junk food exactly? And to what extent is junk food part of the problem we're trying to address? If people were eating less junk food, would that solve the obesity crisis or is there more going on than just what we eat? That's part of it. So I think that's why people are kind of cynical of it. Frankly, I think people are cynical of any kind of tax, but it's not unheard of to have this kind of an approach. I mean, carbon tax is one example, uh, but you can look at excise taxes on on cigarettes, especially even alcohol to some degree. Uh, So there's a new study of this week that, that explores a couple of important questions around the idea of a junk food tax. Is it feasible? I mean, is it workable? Can you come up with a cohesive definition of what counts as as junk food and be able to target it in a fair and meaningful manner and not accidentally ensnare in your net uh, foods that wouldn't really otherwise be considered junk food? Uh, And secondly, I mean, is it effective? Will it make a difference after we go through all of this? I want to explore some of those questions because, you know, this idea keeps coming up. Uh, Joining us to talk more about it is the lead author of this uh, study uh, that appears this week in the American Journal of Public Health. Jennifer Pomeranz, is assistant professor of public health policy and management at NYU College of Global Public Health. Jennifer, so great to have you with us. You're welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: In terms of why it's important to at least study this question, have this conversation. uh, I mean, the the problem we're facing around obesity. why, Why is it important to put these ideas on the table?
1: Well, we believe in evidence-based policy, and taxes have been shown in other public health uh, avenues to decrease consumption and raise revenue, such as tobacco especially, and also sugary beverage taxes are making their way around the country and around the world and uh, are showing the same progress.
0: Interesting. So in in terms of going about this study, because this is actually, as I understand it, uh, pulling together a a bunch of different studies, all the evidence and the literature that's, that's out there.
1: Yeah, so we reviewed the literature, but we also reviewed U.S. bills and laws on junk food taxes, and we, we reviewed international junk food tax laws. There are two uh, that we reviewed, one in Mexico and one on Hungary.
0: And what did you find?
1: We found that the um, way they define junk food uh, varies, but for the most part, the evidence really suggests that a, a very effective way would be to define it by identifying categories that you'd like to tax and then having some nutrition criteria attached to those categories, maybe sugar, salt. Trans fat. Uh, Hungary has such a tax. They use the sugar and salt category and the World Health Organization evaluated it as, as very effective in decreasing consumption and encouraging manufacturers to reformulate the product. Consumers are switching to healthier products. So all in all, it's been a, a very effective tax.
0: Well, and yeah, to a lot of people, that seems like the initial stumbling block to all of this is it's hard to get past. How are we defining junk food? What are the, the kinds of foods or ingredients we would like to see less of or which we are trying to discourage? Uh, but you say that, that we can get past that, that there there is a way to deal with that.
1: Yes, and the, the science, first we like to look at the science, of course, and the science shows that while we're it's very important to focus on sugary beverages, they are uniquely harmful and their liquid consistency does make them uh, not satiating. There are many foods that are associated with health harm and increased risk for weight gain. Some of these foods are processed meats, um, high sugar foods, uh, chips, and um, sugary beverages would be included in this and other types of ref- grain products. So, by taxing and, and targeting those types of foods and beverages, we can make a bigger shift to a healthier diet versus just getting rid of one problematic product.
0: All right. So, we can have clear, concise categories, uh, and, and so that, that needn't be an obstacle.
1: The, correct. That's okay. what we found.
0: Uh, In terms then of how this would work and what kind of a rate we would need to set, now this study looks at the idea of what would be considered an excise tax, so it's something the manufacturers would pay as opposed to uh, more of a sales tax that consumers would directly pay.
1: Yeah, so we found that in the U.S., their manufacturer excise taxes are quite common. We don't have a federal sales tax, but many states have sales taxes. However, um, the goal of taxing manufacturers is that they now have an opportunity to reformulate their products or come up with a new product line that would not be taxed, and then this could move consumers to healthier foods. It's not, we're not expecting people to stop, stop snacking or stop drinking beverages, but then they can move towards healthier products products that are cheaper. And this gives the manufacturer the opportunity to reformulate. Another benefit is that then the manufacturer can uh, pass on the increased price of the tax no matter where it's sold. So if it's sold in stores or schools or wherever, the, the actual price of the product has been is higher. Well, I mean,
0: in that sense, then, if, if the cost is being passed on to the consumer, I mean, it's, it's essentially a sales tax, then, isn't it?
1: Well, in, in the U.S., we have a uh, program called the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, otherwise called a SNAP or Food Stamps. And that program does not allow taxes to be um, placed on the at the point of purchase on, on purchases made with SNAP benefits. And so we would not want to tax at the point of purchase. A sales tax is one of them um, because then the tax would only apply to certain people. And the goal is not to pick and choose among the people who are being taxed, but rather tax the products themselves. So even if the manufacturer passes on, it wouldn't function like a sales tax. Um, So I would argue that there is a big enough difference that we would want to go for the manufacturer's excise tax.
0: Okay, so is the goal less about then discouraging individual consumers by making products more expensive and forcing them to make different choices? And is it more about encouraging manufacturers and giving them incentives to, to make different products?
1: I mean, it's a great point. I think the goal is both. We want, we do want to discourage purchase and consumption for sure, and that's one of the reasons why the tax in the tax would hopefully would increase the price of the product so people would purchase less of them. Um, but we would also make revenue f- through when people are continuing to purchase the products, and then additionally encourage manufacturers to reformulate or at least have other products that are not subject to the tax. So I'd say it has m- many many goals.
0: What does the evidence tell us about the effectiveness of this kind of an approach?
1: Well, we do find that people uh, tend to reduce consumption, reduce purchase of the tax products, uh, and this has been found in public health, as I mentioned, also tobacco and uh, sugary beverages specifically. So we expect that the same would happen for food taxes, and that is what was found in Hungary, that the, that people purchase less of the products, purchase healthier products. And um, the exciting news in Hungary also was that that the tax served as an educational purpose. People stopped purchasing the products because they found out about the tax and the products that were being taxed. What
0: about the experience in Denmark? I think a lot of critics of this approach point to the fact that Denmark had a junk food tax, Denmark got rid of its junk food tax, and and conclude from that that the the approach was a failure. Is that the wrong way to to interpret it, in your view?
1: (laughs) Yes, Denmark's tax was on saturated fat. We would definitely argue that's not the correct component to tax. Um, I think it was just a mistake in the design. Saturated fat is not necessarily unhealthy it really depends on the product and the the amount that is consumed and also that's taxing staple products people don't want their staple products taxed so cheese is a staple product in denmark and denmark people did not did they traveled across borders to get cheese this is uh, this became a mess and so i think that the design of that tax was the problem not the concept behind it
0: Well, and and even if it is feasible and potentially effective, I mean, there there are political realities around the idea of imposing a new tax, any kind of tax. Um, How how difficult is, is that obstacle in moving forward?
1: Well, we know now that the federal government in the U.S. is not about to pass a federal junk food tax. But we want to continue our research on evidence-based policies, and a lot of the, the findings that we have would, would be helpful to state and local governments and also other countries, uh, such as Canada, that could use our um, research on how to define the tax going forward. So we don't need to wait for the federal government, but, but that other areas, other localities could still use this information.
0: All right. Well, it's certainly interesting research, uh, an important issue, I think, to to keep debating. Uh, Professor Pomerantz, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: There you go. Jennifer Pomerantz at the New York College uh, of Global Public Health, lead author of this uh, latest study. So she likes the idea, clearly, is obviously (laughs) attuned to political realities, realizes it's probably not likely to happen anytime soon. And is there... Public support for this? Uh, <laughs> you'd be hard pressed to say yes. So, what do you think of the idea? Nine seven four eight two five five. We can talk a bit more about this. Got a few other things to get to here as well. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at twelve thirty on News Talk seven seventy Calgary.